Podcast Revolution Network presents The Way with Noah. Greetings and welcome to another edition of The Way with Fanoa. Just wanted to quickly do an intro for this episode. Really excited for my second interview with a journalist from Rewire.News from last week. Wanted to give you guys a little time to, to digest the other one that I got a chance to do. Um, but I, this episode, I'm talking with Jessica Piccolo and Imani Yandy from Rewire.News, legal analyst, journalist. I mean, also the co-host of Boom Lawyered. Like, boom, you got lawyered. It's I, I, it's catchy. I like it, you know. Um, but but I appreciate that the way in which they engage in analysis of particularly what's happening with the Supreme Court um, and, and putting it in context and framing for folks that's easy to understand and to grasp, you know. It's, it's so easy to understand that my senior in high school, um, yes, my, my, my boo is, is going to be a singer. It's so proud of her. But anyway, my she's using um, some of the materials that I used to prepare for these interviews from Rewire as part of her summer, you know, her summer work because she has to, you know, do current events and things like that for AP U.S. government. So um, it's pretty cool. But I, but I think that it's really important and valuable for us to hold up folks who are doing content that is easy to understand. It's actually reaching the issues that matter to us that's also very accessible. Because one of the things that we have in our movement space is the issue of accessibility. Because if we're always talking like at this really academic collegiate level up here where we're all pontificating, discussing these issues, and we're not finding a way to directly engage with activists, organizers, and the people actually on the ground doing the work, we're, 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 we're just in our, our own little bubble, right? And so I think um, this conversation and, and, and overall with the engagement work that Rewire itself tries to do, that this is a really good um, chat about what was happening at the Supreme Court last week, what does a Kennedy um, retirement kind of look like and mean, as well as putting into perspective, like towards the end of the conversation, we talked a little bit about just the history of the Supreme Court in general. I mean, the Supreme Court has existed, you know, for, you know, however it has, but it has also, you know, presented itself in a way that has not necessarily always been about protecting the rights and interests of marginalized groups. I mean, there are cases, particularly some that came out of the Warren Court, that have done that, but there has been a very conservative bent for much of the court's uh, history, and there has been a lens that's looked at a very expansive view of the right of the state, generally by way of police officers, in terms of their invasions, uh, intrusions upon due process, and, you know, other uh, uh other rights that people should have, ought to have under the Constitution when we're talking about areas of criminal procedure. So there obviously most definitely is the concerns in terms of Roe v. Wade and even, you know, issues with the ACA, but there really needs to be a more comprehensive conversation about what holding the line on the Supreme Court looks like, if it is possible to even block a nominee, what those strategies look like. And there's so many different groups right now that are trying to strategize and look at that, what's happening. Indivisible actually, um, 
dropped a uh, interesting guide, uh, I think about a week ago or so, also looking at that. So yeah, it has to be about a week because it's been about a week since Kennedy um, announced. So anyway, so check out the episode, like, share, um, and yeah, so so hit me up and let me know what you think. And definitely go check out Rewire and Boom Lawyered. Peace. Hey everyone, and welcome to another edition of The Way with Anoa. I'm really psyched because I have another awesome conversation with um, some folks from Rewire.news. Really exciting stuff to have legal analysts, journalists, Amani Gandhi and Jessica Piclo here to talk with me about this crazy week we've had at the Supreme Court. Um, you know, there's been a lot going on ever since we've started this post-2016 resistance uh, period, so to speak. But I don't know that there's been a week that's just been so crazy and back-to-back, like, <gasps> heart stoppers, right? And so I was really excited to be able to bring these two amazing legal minds in. Um, I know Omani gets digs about, oh, but you're a foreclosure lawyer for people who don't understand civil rights law. But <laughs> what they're talking about, and they have a really good and clear way of talking about these issues and kind of what we're facing down the line. So thank you both for joining me. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks for having us. Yeah, seriously, yeah. thank you. Yeah, definitely. So starting with, because um, the two big things, obviously, this week were the Supreme Court decisions that came down on Tuesday, and then we had Justice Kennedy uh, announcing his retirement yesterday. Um, I... I, I <laughs> Uh, on the one hand, I think starting with the analysis that you guys were breaking down and bringing in terms of the cases that we just saw, we saw the NIFLA case and then the Muslim ban case, just kind of, if you guys, let's start with NIFLA, like this is the, the um, I think it's what the First Amendment, um, you have the right to lie to patients if you're a fake uh, pregnancy clinic case, it sounded like. Um, can you guys just kind of break it down a little bit? What were we looking at in terms of these answers to clinics? What were some of the interesting factoids, I guess, from the court's ruling. I believe that was Justice Thomas writing the um, the, this, the, the decision in that one. Uh, just kind of just break that down for us, what was going on, and what are we looking at now as it goes back to California? I'll take that one. Um, so Nifla v. Becerra was a case about a disclosure law that California passed in order to deal with the scourge of these crisis pregnancy center clinics that were popping up all over the state and which lied to pregnant people. They pretend to be clinics. They cause, they hire anti-choicers to act as staff members who cosplay as doctors. You'll walk into one of these shops and you'll see a person with a lab coat and a stethoscope and a clipboard, and they're pretending to be healthcare providers, but they're not necessarily healthcare providers. And those that are healthcare providers, some of these places will do certain medical services like ultrasounds, um, they are not full-service healthcare providers. So what this law did was t- in targeting vulnerable populations, that's low-income women, primarily um, women of color, pregnant people of color, they said that clinics needed to post a notice, pregnancy-related clinics needed to post a notice saying that California offers this full range of family planning services, including abortion and contraception, and here's a number that you can call to find out if you qualify for these low-cost and, in some case, free services. Um, The second part of the disclosure law required these unlicensed clinics, these fake clinics that aren't healthcare providers, to disclose to their clientele that they're not actually doctors. And Justice Mm -hmm. Thomas um, overturned both. The Ninth Circuit upheld the – it's called the the Reproductive Facts Act. 
the district court and the Ninth Circuit both upheld the act. And then, of course, the Supreme Court overturned it. And, you know, I could go for days about why Thomas's opinion was absolutely nonsensical, but I really want to hone in on one primary hypocrisy, and that is that the Supreme Court has held that it is perfectly okay under the First Amendment to require doctors to provide certain information in connection with abortion services, right? So they, um, in Planned Parenthood versus Casey, it's a 1992 case, at issue, one of the mm-hmm. issues was a Pennsylvania law that required doctors to read a state-mandated script that had all of this information, including information about where a, pers- a pregnant person could go if they decided to have a child and what assistance, public assistance, would be available to them. Um, that law was challenged on First Amendment grounds because doctors were like, hey, wait a minute, we don't want to have to be forced to tell, to relay a state message in connection with our practice of medicine. The Supreme Court mm-hmm. said, well, because it is in relation to the practice of medicine and because these um, these disclosures are fact-based, and those particular ones were, but not all of them are, um, it's perfectly fine because we are going to regulate this as professional conduct, as professional speech, excuse me, and professional speech has a lower standard when it comes to First Amendment, the First Amendment, than, than political speech does, for example. So... On the one hand, you have these, it is okay for doctors to be forced to say these certain things mandated by the state. On the other hand, we have these anti-choicers who are complaining that they are being, requ- that they are being required to relay an, a quote-unquote abortion-minded message. And that's not the case. What they're required to do is post a sign saying, hey, you can get these services over here, and they're free and they're low cost. And B, we're not licensed. So, you know, maybe you want to go to an actual healthcare provider. So there's a real distinct hypocrisy there whereby it is okay to force doctors to say shit, but it is not okay to force anti-choicers to to say shit in a way that will ensure that people who go to visit these centers are not deceived into thinking they're actually seeing doctors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That that seems like a no-brainer, and yet here we are, right, two days later, um, still trying to, I guess you can't make sense of it, but to say, I think when I was listening to you guys discuss this on the podcast, um, and for those who have not gotten a chance to check out their podcast, please definitely do so. They had two really, they're quick, short, quick and dirty um, episodes this week, emergency episodes, they, they were able to address the, these particular issues we're discussing now. But the Boom Lord podcast is is pretty dope. Even my 16 year old uh, has has decided she's going to start listening to it as well. So, but I, one of the things that I heard you guys discuss though was the fact that um, you know there seems to be a contortionist act by the conservative justices of the Supreme Court to kind of make you know the religious right, religious conservatives feel good, or 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 just decide cases that that aren't actually uh, comporting with actual con- cor- uh, constitutional jurisprudence. Absolutely. I mean, if I could just build off of Amani's really smart point that she made about um, what the court did with getting around Casey and the disclosures in the Medical Act, the result of Thomas's and the majority's opinion means that it is going to be really difficult, if not impossible, to make that kind of argument for other types of restrictions that were potentially at play. Mm -hmm. Because as this case came up, Reproductive rights advocates had, had said, you know, there is this possibility that given the theory advanced by the plaintiffs, we could get something that becomes a tool in our toolkit. And um, Thomas very specifically wrote an opinion 
to kneecap that. And that's a political move. That is not about the law. That's not even about conservative jurisprudence. That's about thinking like a litigator and playing on offense, but you're from, you're doing it from the bench. So, I mean, there's, Mm -hmm. there's Mm -hmm. that bit of it. And, you know, that's when we talk about where the court and especially where the court is going now that Kennedy's resigned, I mean, the level of partisanness, the level of politicalness, especially from the right and the like far ideological drive that we see is really pretty unmatched in history, except for like the darkest days of our decisions. Yeah, and to build on what Jessica said, you know, part of the problem, and it's very clear from Thomas's opinion, is that he and conservatives and evangelicals don't consider abortion to be health care. So, you know, mm-hmm. Thomas says, well, you know, requiring there's no there's no reason that a pregnant person might want might need information about abortion in connection with the medical practice, which is patently absurd, as Justice Breyer mm-hmm. pointed out in, in his dissent, because abortion is far more. Da- I mean, childbirth is far more dangerous than abortion. So when a person is deciding whether or not to have an abortion or to give birth, that sort of information might play a part into it. The fact that you are 14 times more likely to die in childbirth than you are to die from an abortion. So for Thomas to say that a doctor providing that sort of information is irrelevant to medical practice is absurd. And it's so absurd that in his dissent, Justice Breyer made that point. He basically quoted what Thomas said and then just was, really? Question mark. You know what I mean? And that's kind of the mm-hmm. level of shade that you're not going to get from a guy like Stephen Breyer. I mean, that's how ridiculous Thomas's opinion was or is. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, just, 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 just building on what both of you said, it just it is really a concern when we have this conversation emerging, right? I mean, we can't, we can't rewind and, and address the issues that led to the, the Supreme Court makeup that we have right today when we're, we were facing a vacancy in 2016 uh, post the passing of, of Justice Scalia. But, like, looking at where we're at, looking at what's happening now, and now with Justice Kennedy um, making the decision at this moment in time, despite everything that's going on, to step down, um, there is this frenzy feeling. There is this, this fear uh, about where we are, where, where, where I think we've already been going with some of the cases we've been seeing, but where we're almost certainly to go now that he's stepping down and we're facing another Trump uh, judicial pick. Can you, can you guys, like, like, just thinking for a second, just as we're talking about the, this Nifla case and just some of the, the rationalization in this, I mean, we saw some of this, I don't know what to call it, but we saw this this this, this playing around with the the cake case, right? Like mm-hmm. this this farce of a conversation that somehow we're being mean to religious conservatives and not letting them have their viewpoint because you know why worry about people's civil rights and constitutional liberties when we have to worry about the feelings of religious conservatives and somehow that makes good law. With 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 Kennedy stepping down, what are we what are we looking at? Like what is the landscape? I'm going to let Jeff answer that question, but I want to point out one thing that, you know, dovetails off of what you said, which is that in Masterpiece Cake Shop, Kennedy basically said, well, you know, the people on the Colorado Civil Rights Commission, this is the organization, the commission that that Mm -hmm. said that this baker had basically been a bigoted jerk face. Kennedy says, well, you know, there was some evidence of religious animus, and we really have to make sure that we're very protective of, of, of religion, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. But then in the in the Muslim ban case, there was just 
ample evidence of religious animus. I mean, Donald Trump has been mm-hmm. tweeting religious animus about Muslims, talking religious animus about Muslims on the campaign trail for two years, and somehow that just yeah. didn't register on Kennedy's radar. So that I find very yeah. interesting. But I'll let Jess answer the question about what <laughs> <don't, don't laughs> like, uh, Kennedy's Oh, going. God, I have so much to say about all of this. Okay, I mean, it, it registered to the extent that Kennedy gave him a very stern finger-waggling and a concurring opinion that said, really, we should be nicer. Um, And that was the effect of of what it did. Um, And when you know that you're retiring in the middle of what we can safely call a constitutional crisis, I mean, we have a president under Mm -hmm. criminal investigation, right? I mean, we've got the Mueller probe. Who knows what, I mean, you know, sort of as we go down in, in, you know, with sessions, there's just, there's a lot happening right now. So if one was not a partisan one would hope that you would stick around and at least let some of those things ride out. And what Kennedy proved is that he's a partisan. And, you know, on um, a thing on the Colorado case, um, I'm out here in Colorado, and you know what happened in my state almost immediately after the court said that the Colorado Civil Rights Commission had been mean to uh, Jack Phillips and Masterpiece Cake Shop is our state's Republican Party introduced legislation to protect evangelicals from investigations from state Civil Rights Commission. So we can see what the play is here. Now, thankfully, in the state, the bill's not going to go anywhere. But that's part of what this is about, right? The weaponizing of the First Amendment to provide both a sword to cut through the regulations and the civil rights protections that they don't like and a shield to protect them from liability and responsibility, you know, um, when they screw it up. So that's a real thing. And with Kennedy gone, that's only going to get amplified. We are guaranteed that any nominee that Trump that Trump puts forward will be as radical as Neil Gorsuch on these issues. And Neil Gorsuch is in many ways an architect of this weaponizing of the First Amendment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think especially when we're in this, this period, too, when we're looking at just in terms of just regular conversation and, you know, movement spaces and the constant pushback we're seeing in terms of making sure or, or this growing protection of the right, far right, whoever, whether it's your Milos or, or uh, your Breitbarts or whatever, making sure we're protecting free speech. You know, the free speech absolution is an argument that I have been seeing over the past year or so. Mm-hmm. I, it's went to a whole nother level with this case in that we're protecting the right of free speech, not just any, any, any and every right to just speak, but in this particular type of situation, when you're actually in task with giving someone else, you know, accurate, valid information, particularly when it seems like they're uh, curtailing the state's ability to actually regulate the way in which people who are providing services are communicating information about services or alternative services to, you know, to, to, to its citizens. So, um, so, so, so this whole whole scenario is really disconcerting on multiple levels, you know, this, in addition to what you all laid out. But I'm just thinking about, like, when we talk about free speech absolutism here, and there's such a such a fervent effort to to protect the right of, you know, religious conservatives, right right leading folks, whatever their whatever euphemism we call them, to protect their ability for free speech, to protect their ability to sit and eat in, in peace and quiet. Like, it just seems like we have not only had, like, a rightward shift, you know, in terms of the presidency, but just this this BS about civility and decorum nationwide within conversation just seems to be moving in a way that upholds these people and their right to exist 
without ever taking into consideration that everything they're doing and working towards is absolutely undermining the rest of us and not just our rights to exist, but our, our rights to, you know, freedom of liberty and pursuit of happiness and all the other good stuff that we're supposed to care so much about. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah, I mean, really, we're we're at a place where, as Jessica said, you know, they are weaponizing the First Amendment to cut down and cut through whatever rights that marginalized people may may have, LGBTQ people, black and brown people, immigrants, certainly, and then using it as a shield to say, oh, no, these people are being so mean because I don't want to have to serve the icky gay couple, and it's my First Amendment right to not serve the icky gay couple because my cake is speech or because, you know, we recall, recall that Kim Davis situation, that woman who mm-hmm. refused to give the marriage mm-hmm. license out. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, they cried free speech on that, but when it comes to doing something on the flip side, then it's then they're the victims of, of, of they're, they're having their free speech taken away. And so it's just this rank hypocrisy and this idea that evangelicals are basically at the top of the ladder and they get all, they get all the rights. They get the right to, they have the rights to civil rights, they have the rights to deny civil rights to other people, and they can cloak all of that in religious liberty. They have the right to not provide contraception to their employees because they think that contraception is, a, is abortion, even though it's not. And the court has allowed them to put forth these religious beliefs, whether or not they're sincerely held, because as the court, as courts have said, they're not allowed to even question whether or not these beliefs are sincerely held, much less question whether these beliefs are based in fact. So essentially, mm-hmm. evangelicals are just making shit up and then crying religious freedom, and the court's going, yeah, you know, okay, fine, religious freedom. Mm-hmm. And it's maddening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then as we're seeing, we're, we have religious freedom, we have to protect the rights of racist uh, evangelicals, but then when we're looking at, you know, now moving on to the other case, with the upholding of the Muslim ban, um, and as you guys are pointing out, that they didn't find any type of racial animus, I mean, religious animus in this instance. But what was interesting, I was I was sitting there listening to you guys talk on, on the emergency podcast about the, the Muslim ban and the NIFLA case, and I was sitting there thinking about, you know, just in law school when you're first-year contracts, and it's like, you know, the four corners rule, right? And we're, it's like we're having, it's like the, the justices adopted this really stupid rule to be able to evaluate Trump's decisions. We're just going to look at the four corners of this specific document and nothing else. Nothing else matters. It doesn't matter what he said is. It doesn't matter what he tweeted. It doesn't matter what he's saying on interviews. None of that matters. We live in a bubble. It doesn't matter. It just matters what's written. And that's like the most absurd thing ever when we do have all of this evidence, as you guys rightfully pointed out, that the person who is in the office as president does actually not only hold this animus, he ran on this animus. He's been proudly proclaiming it everywhere. And, and again, to juxtapose back with the Kate case, the same thing, right? Like they said, like, well, because these statements might have been made in, in ten, you know, tangential to this proceeding, that means there was animus. I mean, that same test should apply, but somehow they're distorting, you know, these different fact patterns to be read in the, not in the best interest of, you know, the victimized party, so to speak, but in the best interest of whomever is representing a particular viewpoint. And unfortunately for all of us, it just happens to be a very restrictive narrative that limits opportunity and liberty for the majority of black and brown people. Yeah, I mean, your Four Corners example or analogy, I think, is exactly right. The opinion is maddening. Um, I mean, first of all, you know, Roberts wrote it, so in that sense, there's zero surprise that the majority found no religious animus because, I mean, he found – 
you know, the country post-racial when he gutted the Voting Rights Act five years ago in Mm -hmm. Shelby County. So it is very much the same willful blindness to reality. And it's a willful blindness to reality that's designed very specifically to uh, entrench white supremacy in the law. I mean, we have to call it what it is. And it's that um, because there's absolutely no way an honest analysis would have gotten you to the majority's conclusion, um, even if, you know, we were to, to say, OK, we're just looking at, at the face of, of the executive orders, the different iterations. I mean, the very fact that it wasn't just, you know, we, we shorthanded as the Muslim ban. But in reality, there were three orders that were issued in part because of legal challenges. So they kept changing a little mm-hmm. bit here. So that very fact. Mm-hmm at a minimum undercut the idea that this was like a clearly well thought out thing because at one point, you know, I mean, at the end they're like, Oh hell, we're just going to add Venezuela and North Korea on there for shits and giggles. Like, I mean, that's right. basically what it comes down to. And so, you know, so the court literally looked at the specific language and said, Nope, doesn't say Muslim ban, so no Muslim ban, which is absurd because in other, in almost every other constitutional context, the court will look beyond the four corners of the document to, to, mm-hmm. to talk about mm-hmm. impact or intent. And suddenly, Absolutely. intent had no, there was no conference, no discussion. There was barely any discussion of intent. So to Mayor and her dissent, however, it's like, I'm going to lay this shit out and lay this shit out <laughs> all the way out. And then also mm-hmm. it was like, and by the way, Justice Roberts, this is some Korematsu bullshit. And you could tell, I mean, the only decent thing to come out of this decision is that the court finally overruled Korematsu, which is the Japanese internment case. But as mm-hmm. someone pointed out on Twitter, I can't remember who, and I, it didn't even occur to me until I read it more carefully. Robert said that the case is no longer good law and that we're no longer allowed to detain people based on race. He said based on yeah. race specifically. Mm-hmm. He didn't say based on religion. So that leaves uh-huh. that leaves the door open for Trump to start rounding up Muslims based on religion or to start, you know, rounding up immigrants not based on their brown skin but based on their immigration status. And so I don't think, right. I think people were lauding Robert. Well, well, yeah, the opinion sucks, but at least he overturned Korematsu. Yeah, not really, guys. I mean, he basically said, okay, we yeah. can't round up black people because they're black. We can't round up brown people because they're brown, but we certainly can round up black people and use activists or protesting as a as yeah. a simulacrum for black people. We can use immigration mm-hmm. as a simulacrum for brown people, and therefore we end up with the same result. But, you know, at least we're not rounding up people based on race, guys, because we're beyond that. Mm-hmm. Which is what the administration admitted they were doing. I mean, this is the Giuliani evidence, right? That Trump told me to right. craft him a Muslim ban that didn't say Muslim ban. And Robert said, thumbs up, good job, guys. That's unbelievable. Right, right. Well, I mean, no, absolutely. And this is, and, and even, even that, just, you know, noting that, you know, we, this is, this is the precursor to possibly being able to do that. I mean, this was the fear post 9-11, right? And that, that mm-hmm. immediate when we first started seeing, um, you know, some of the different, I mean, when the Patriarch was coming down, when we, I mean, I mean, even the conversation we're having right now about abolishing ICE and looking back at the, the creation of ICE and the Homeland Security, I mean, all of that conversation, that, that was that real serious concern, and that's part of the plot of, of uh, what, what's that Denzel Washington movie? Um, oh, it just floated float on the my page. The Siege. The Siege, yeah. yes. Yeah. That, that's that's oh, yes. a part of that plot. I actually remember I post 9-11 that that movie, you couldn't actually rent that movie for a while. It was like one of the movies you couldn't rent or whatever. And then there was like a bunch of songs. I was telling my kids there was like songs they wouldn't play on the radio anymore. But it seems like we're heading back to that type of hysteria from the government in terms of um, how it's going to act without the actual same appearance of actual pressing danger. 
um, and a well, apparent danger, you know, for, for, for some type of international action. But, like, I'm still trying to figure out, like, when we're sitting here having these conversations, and Imani and I have talked about this before in terms of some of the people that I end up in Twitter circles with, uh, this conversation we're having right now about what this means and what we should be doing, you know, in terms of activism or po politics, political engagement, like, how do we deal with what is coming in terms of a, 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 a Kennedy-less uh, Supreme Court and with just where we're seeing this trend of cases coming post-Trump, particularly with what we're seeing with who he's staffing, you know, at the federal district level, and, and, mm. and he's appointed, you know, he's making lifetime appointments, uh, his list is atrocious, um, you know, we're talking about Justice Kennedy, Kennedy was a, Repub uh, a Reagan appointee, so while he was, you know, a Reagan appointee, he still was okay at times, and sometimes actually decent, and so we're not, I don't know that we have the same hope that we might possibly get something like that from a Trump appointee, um, but, but, but just thinking about where we're going, and I, so I'm having a real tough time talking to people right now, not just because a lot of folks are like, oh my god, the sky is falling, but there are those folks that are like, hmm, well, this is what you get when you're running neoliberals. Like, that type of rhetoric and conversation, I, 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 on the one hand, I understand what people are trying to analyze and look at in the greater social framework and political framework as a whole, but when we're talking about the real felt consequences on people's lives, that conversation does not help us figure out what to do now okay. and how to do yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I know, you know, I'm a controversial guest for a lot of your listeners. You are. I'm going to get you know, so much hate mail because of this now. <laughs> I'm sure you are. And maybe there'll be some medium posts written about how terrible I am. But the bottom line is, is that there is so little daylight between socialists and progressives and leftists and liberals and even centrists. You know what I mean? There's a lot. There's There's very little daylight between what those actions on the leftward side care about versus what all the people on the right care about, right? And the reason that the people on the right are so lockstep is because they have one goal, that's fuck gay people and fuck abortion. That's it. That's what they will vote on. And so in 2016, they knew that there was going to be, they knew that they had a seat to fill. And so whether, I mean, I don't have any data and I haven't talked to anyone about why it was people voted the way that they did, but certainly I think the Republicans were able to turn people out based on SCOTUS. And so I think that Kennedy retiring now really, really fucks us for the midterms because I think that same amount of of energy is going to energize the Republican base to get out and vote during the midterms at a time when very few people vote, to be honest. So the thing that I would just urge your listeners, even the ones who can't stand my face, is to really think about what it is that you will be voting for in November. You're not voting for necessarily, I mean, in, in practicality, you will probably be voting for corporate Democrats. Corporate Democrats are the worst. I get it. But in reality, it pragmatically, in the long run, you're not you're voting for the Supreme Court that is going to make decisions about your children's lives. You know, I don't have kids, so I'm not like I'm not particularly concerned about what, my, you know, the fruit of my loin they're going to have to deal with when I'm long dead. But you have kids to know. I know Jessica has kids. I'm sure a lot of your listeners have kids. You really have to think about what kind of court, what kind of judiciary you want to leave for your children. If you have children that are gay, if you have children that are trans, if you have children that are black or brown, I, I get that voting for some of these neoliberal asshats is going to be a real hardship, but, but 
it's really the only way that we can keep the court from going rightward, because once the court goes rightward, the court is rightward. And I know that there are a lot of folks who are on Twitter right now talking about, well, you know, you can, people are saying that the court is lost for generation, but all it takes is an act of Congress to pack the courts. I mean, are we seriously in 2018 talking about doing some 1937 New Deal style court packing when we don't have control of either branches of, of any branch of government? I mean, it's, yeah. it's we are going to lose abortion rights. I think Mother Jones did a report that within 18 months, 20 states will have outlawed abortion. That's 18 months from now. We don't have time to wait two or three presidential election cycles so that we can retake the House, retake the Senate, and then maybe go back and undo this shit. Because all of this shit will have been entrenched by then, and it'll be much harder to undo. So, you know, we may already be too far gone in order to save ourselves from this horrible conservative court, but we do have a chance in November, and that chance is to vote. And it may mean holding your nose in voting, and, you're not, and I'm just begging you to do so anyway, and do it for your fucking kids. Don't do it for me. You hate me. I get it. Do it for your children. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's a very real, that's a very real, like, place you know, folks are grappling with right now, because when I get messages from my own parents who are way more radical than I am, and it's just like, my mom is like, my godmom is like, um, oh my god, like, the court is fucked for the rest of my lifetime. Yeah, it's, and it's fucked for the rest of, probably, I don't know how old you are, Noah, but it's probably our, li- our I'm lifetime. I'm a little younger than you, but probably our lifetime, too. Our yeah. lifetime. Chief Justice, what we're talking about, I mean, yeah, Chief Go Justice ahead, John Jeff. Roberts is 54 years old. 54. I mean, that you know, he's got He's 34. More years He's going to be on the bench for 30 more years, you know, and, and he is now the swing vote with Kennedy gone, let's be honest. So, you know, it's that kind of thing. So it's it's really like um, Amani is, is right on. Like, you know, there are there are lots of times when, you know, we can't get the, the best and um, it's just the immediate consequences are so dire. It's, you know, this isn't a hypothetical fight over, you know, the degree of corporate spending in elections. This is about putting people in cages and folks profiting off of it and the courts blessing it. Right. And we have a court Mm -hmm. now that Mm -hmm. seems to be backing Trump's authoritarianism. So there's no guarantee anymore that the court is going to be that final bulwark against the absolute stripping of civil rights from people. I mean, you mentioned the siege. I have... If that if it comes to a point where some shit goes down and they actually start rounding up people and putting them in camps even more so than they're doing right now, I don't have any confidence that the court's going to step in and stop it. And that's what we need I the court there for. Yeah. I mean, this just just looking at and I know there's been the whole conversation playing out and I talked about this a little bit with um with with Jody and uh, Tina also from Rewire earlier in the week when we were discussing, you know, immigration issues and family separation and and that whole conversation. But, like, when that first started happening, while my heart is aching, you know, there are those people who are like, well, that's not my issue because, you know, I'm not undocumented or whatever. But quite honestly, when we look at some of the the, the mishaps that have happened with, you know, taking children for families and putting them in foster care under all types of scenarios, I mean, and now we're talking about right now in terms of being able to detain people indefinitely. And we've already seen, you know, there were stories that popped up, again, with Patriot Act 1 and 2, like, the the, 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 the the framework is already there for this type of stuff to happen. It's just whether or not the this administration will actually start doing it. And I would not be surprised if, like you noted earlier in the conversation, if they don't start rounding up activists, if certain people aren't start rounding up for other things that aren't specifically race 
or specifically gender, even though the case itself, and as we know from case law, it says, well, it says race. It didn't say gender, right. sexual orientation. Right. Religion. Right. They didn't say, even though it should be like, duh, but you know, it, it's, it's literally a step by step thing with the way you have to litigate cases. Right. And, and, and you have to realize these judges are lawyers. I mean, just John Roberts is a lawyer. He, yeah. he knew how to say race, ethnicity, creed, sexual orientation, all of those things, like, you know, the list of shit that you find in Title VII or Title IX or whatever. He could have done that, and he didn't. So I think there is cause to be alarmed. I really do think there's cause to be alarmed. And, you know, I, it's like, I, I didn't, I knew, I, I kind of knew when he got inaugurated that we would be here. I just really didn't think it was going to be this fast. I mean, the, yeah, the quickness with the democracy is, our already struggling democracy is being dismantled, is really alarming. And I just, I don't know what to do besides encourage people to try to stop the bleeding while we can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, wrapping up here, just final thoughts. I mean, because this has been a really great conversation, and again, appreciate you guys a lot for having it. Um, I know some folks may not necessarily agree with that part of the conversation about, you know, how we need to figure out a way to stop what is going to be a possible second Trump appointment to the Supreme Court. But I think we really are grappling with a very real conversation. It's something that folks are going to have to all weigh through for themselves and really think about strategically what, if anything, can be done. Um, I mean, I know I've seen calls now for uh, Senate Dems to hold off as much as they can until any type of vote, until post-midterms, you know, which, I mean, it's only a few months. We, you know, the whole nation was was held at a standstill for, what, almost a year um, with with the appointment of Mayor Garland, which eventually was not uh, successful. But, I mean, it, it just, it doesn't seem like too much to ask the people who are already there to, like, hold the ground, whether or not we can actually get all of them to actually hold the ground, because we do know we have our, our little favorite few Democrats who love Trump or, or like to do things mm. with Republicans. They don't necessarily hold space like they ought to be, but it just seems like this is a conversation that we need to actually be grappling with instead of just the flippant discussions about, well, neoliberals are bad, which I'm not going to disagree with anyone. Y'all know me, but at the same time, I think we <laughs> conversation right now about what we're building the long haul and how we're going to endure because this is not going to get pretty or free or nice anytime soon it's yeah it's really not and 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 really what's the most depressing part about it is not even keeping our the sad democratic coalition together with people like mansion and 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 whomever but we also have to peel off at least two republicans so that means that means convincing mm-hmm. people who hate neoliberals to actually go and try and court two two Republicans. You know, we got to court Murkowski and right. Collins, and Collins has already said she already tweeted yesterday. Well, I think it was a bad mistake when Republicans held off on Mar- on Garland, so I think it would be a bad thing to do that now. It's like, bitch, really? Like, what are you talking about? Like, you're supposed yeah. to be pro-choice. Murkowski's supposed to be pro-choice. The only thing that is going to determine this next judicial nominee is the fervence with which they are willing to overturn Roe. And yeah, so because that you know means, what? Go ahead. No, sorry. <laughs> I got no. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I was gonna say they both voted for Gorsuch too. So like we, right. can't, I mean, you know, we have to, you know, that's that's who we're working with. It's people who say we are very pro-choice and we are going to stand up for the administration and then vote a hundred percent behind them. Right. Right. And even and you know and I can I'll even be willing to be like all right I'll give you Gorsuch because it seems fair I mean it seems fair to replace a conservative with a conservative but we're going to replace a moderate with like an extremist 
Come on, man. And it's, and, right. and it's really sad that we even have to talk that way because the Supreme Court is supposed to be nonpartisan, but everybody knows it's not. We all know, you know, you, if I were a Republican, I would be irritated if it was a 5-4 liberal court, you know, and as, as a liberal, I'm irritated that it's a 5-4 conservative court. It shouldn't be that way at all. You know what I mean? It should be based on the law and what's best for the freaking country, and that's just not what it is. It's just ideological, as evidenced by Clarence Thomas is willing to contort the law to fit his prefab agenda. Yeah, absolutely. And, again, like, again, I know I'll get, like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Look, I'm not telling folks to do things one way or another, but I am saying that we actually do have to deal with the very real consequences of where we are. Like, yes, get local. Yes, vote for more amazing people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who is going to the House. Amazing. Yes. Amazing race, amazing opportunity. And, yes, we absolutely need to put our energy there. But the other thing that I just thought about in closing just with you guys is that, you know, for much of our country's history, we've had a Supreme Court, we've had mm-hmm. these old predominant mm-hmm. men for our history who have not operated and worked in our best favor at all. And we've still been able to achieve and move forward and do what we need to do. So I need folks to not fall apart completely because Kennedy is leaving the bench. Um, yes, it sucks. <laughs> it sucks so much, but at the same time, we still have so much work to do going forward. So um, I'll kick it back to you ladies one more time, and then we can close out, because I've had so much fun talking to you both. Um, yeah, I'll just say that we're kind of in a shitty time here, but I am cautiously optimistic, because I do see that there are a lot of people who have never joined the fight before starting to join the fight, and so I'm hoping that we can band together somehow and survive this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, um, uh, your point on the court is exactly right for, for you know, pretty much the entirety of our history with one blurb. It's been a very conservative institution, and we have expanded rights despite that. Um, and so, you know, we have to double down on those efforts, and we can't fall apart. But we also have to be really sort of real in, in laying it out, and I appreciate the opportunity mm-hmm. for us to do both of those things here with you. This has been great. I appreciate you both so much for joining me. I have been joined by Jessica Piccolo and Amani Gandhi, both from legal analysts, journalists of rewire.news. Definitely check out their podcast, Boom Lawyering. Is it Boom Lawyered or Boom Lawyering? I have it both ways in my head. Boom Lawyered. <laughs> it's like, boom, you just boom got lawyered. lawyered. <laughs> yeah, boom, you just got lawyered. I'm like, you know, it can be like, boom, I'm lawyering. But it's boom, you just got lawyered. It's a really dope podcast, and these ladies do excellent work in legal analysis. And y'all lay off of Imani a little bit with the you just a foreclosure attorney <laughs> joke. She actually knows what she's talking about. Well, the funny thing is, is um, I haven't done that shit in literally eight years. <laughs> You know? And it's not even what, well, from our other conversation, it's not even what you did for the I most. did it for most eight months. Yeah, out of ten years. Yeah. Give me a break, people. Just cut me some slack. Or you don't have to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, it's I'm, hilarious. I'm good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it just, it, it's, a fun, it's a fun joke. I just, 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 just briefly, I saw um, someone in your Twitter exchange or whatever, they were trying to say that uh, 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 the, the heckling of Sarah Sanders or her being put out was a discrimination. Oh, for God's sake. Which, 
<laughs> and then she was like titles two of the Civil Rights Act and everybody and you were like, No, that's literally not what either title refers to we're talking about. And it's like, Well, how would you know? You're a foreclosure. I know, attorney. I was like, Are you sure you're not a leftist? Because that's the only shit. I can leave it that shit leftist. But I'm, I'm still an attorney and I still understand civil rights law. So uh, Discuss are in the description. All right, talk to you guys soon. Peace.